I have moved so many times in my life that I have a really hard time keeping track. And uh, I don't really like the fact that I have moved so much. But one of the good things about moving a lot and moving to different places is that you experience many different cultures and you observe how people do things differently in different parts of the world and different parts of this country. And so maybe for many of you who grew up uh, in this area, you aren't really aware of everything that people do here that maybe is not uh, common in other parts. So there's one unique aspect that my family noticed when we moved here. I'm not sure if it's this area or maybe it's the state or maybe it's the region of the Northeast, but we noticed very clearly that people have these things here called free piles. You know free piles? I don't know that there was anywhere else that I have seen where people have so many free piles in the front of their houses. People here take their stuff, some of it's junk, some of it is really nice, and they just set it on the side of the road, and amazingly, somebody comes around eventually, usually, and picks it up. And so we like to drive around and call out free pile whenever we see a free pile. Uh, it is the more dignified version of dumpster diving for us. Uh, so uh, it's amazing. You can find all kinds of wonderful things. But uh, on a silly, silly illustration, but on a serious note, uh, maybe sometimes we feel like we are God's junk pile. Maybe you feel like if God could get rid of you, he might do that. If someone would take you, maybe God would be glad to be done with you. You can look at other people and you can see that they are very gifted, they are very intelligent, they are very passionate and godly men and women. If you want to compare it to, to stuff, I've never been to Saks Fifth Avenue, but I think that's one of the high-end, uh, expensive stuff, high-quality stuff, or pottery barn furniture. So there are some people that are pottery barn stuff in God's eyes, and some people are God's junk pile. And we're the stuff, you might think, maybe you think of yourself, uh, that you're the stuff that God gets at a yard sale, and he gets it because he might use it one day, but 10 years later, it's sitting in the corner of the garage, and he decides, you know, he doesn't really need that and so you throw it out to the curb. So maybe you think of yourself that way. You're not very gifted, godly, smart, eloquent, and especially when you compare yourself to other people. And we often have these thoughts and temptations, especially when we suffer. When we go through difficulties in life, we look at other people and we say that they have it better, they have it easy, Everything goes great for them, and so God must like them better. God must love them more. God must give them better things that he doesn't give you. And so you're kind of, you think, like God's junk. Well, that's 
the idea in a more eloquent way than talking about free piles uh, that Richard Sibbs talks about in uh, this book, The Bruised Reed. So a, a more biblical and a better illustration for how we see ourselves and how God treats us is that we are like bruised reeds. And the Bible says Christ does not break a bruised reed. Or if you want to go with the junk analogy, God doesn't get rid of you and throw you to the curb. Even though you might think that that's what he's doing when you're suffering and when you face difficulties in life. So today I want to introduce this topic of the bruised reed. And um, if you're wondering, Proverbs was, is going to be uh, sermons. And uh, so that's kind of on the back burner right now. We're going to be preaching Isaiah and then eventually take a break from Isaiah, preach Proverbs and go back, back to Isaiah. And so in Sunday school, as I, as I teach Sunday school for the future, we're going to be going through this book, The Bruised Read. And uh, so next class, I'll, I'll talk about the author and some things we can learn from the author, Richard Sibbs. But um, I wanted to introduce this book today. Uh, can you nod or raise your hand? Has anybody read this book? One. Okay, good. Well, it's, it's good if you've read it, but it's also good if, if uh, you haven't been exposed to this. I think it's a, it's a great book. Now, it's not just my recommendation, but I want to read to you some guy named Charles Haddon Spurgeon, what he says. He says, Sibs never wastes the student's time. He scatters pearls and diamonds with both hands. So maybe that will encourage you a little bit to, to read Richard Sibs. Uh, we also have a testimony from Martin Lloyd-Jones, Dr. Lloyd-Jones. He said, I shall never be, cease to be grateful to Richard Sibbs, who was balm to my soul at a period in my life when I was overworked and badly overtired, and therefore I was subject in an unusual manner to the onslaughts of the devil. In that state and condition, what you need is some gen gentle, tender treatment for your soul. He says, I found at that time that Richard Sibbs was an unfailing remedy. His book, The Bruised Reed, quieted, soothed, comforted, encouraged, and healed me. So this book is a very encouraging book. Uh, very encouraging for when we struggle. And whether we're struggling with our sin or, or suffering, facing difficulty in life. I think all of us, no matter what we're going through, uh, we need encouragement. We need balm for the soul. And so we get that balm from the word of God. And as Richard Sibbs explains to us, draws out the lessons from the word of God here in the bruised reed. So this image of the bruised reed comes first of all from Isaiah 42. If you'd like, please turn there to Isaiah chapter 42. In Isaiah 40 to 55, we have several servant songs. Songs, God uh, and Isaiah, God is giving Isaiah this message preaching about 
a servant. And uh, Israel, the nation, was called to be God's servant, and they failed. And so God is going to raise up a servant who will represent Israel. And uh, this is an individual who is coming. And we'll, we'll see that we, we now understand this is the Messiah. This is Jesus Christ. But he's described here as the servant. So here's the second servant song is in Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. It says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Okay, well, I'm going to just ask some of you men if you can tell me uh, what are some things that we learn here about the servant? How is he described here? Yes. Upheld by God himself. Okay, so the mission that the servant has is going to be empowered by God himself, and God will um, hold him up. So he, most likely, this is implying that he's going to suffer. It's going to be difficult. He's going to be a man of sorrows, but God will uphold him through these sorrows. What else? Chosen. Chosen. Okay, so he is elected by God uh, as the one who is able and qualified to fulfill this mission. And this is one verse where we see that there's a covenant of redemption from eternity. From eternity past, the Father and the Son agreed that the Son would be the one who would come to accomplish this task of um, saving the people. Okay, what else? Just keep going down the verse, yeah. Yeah, is that at the last? That's verse 4, right? He will persevere. He will accomplish his mission. Okay, there's plenty more. <laughs> Mike? He will become a humble servant and will not come with great Right. Yes, so in verse, I think you're getting this from verse 2, that he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice. Yeah. Um, you guys know the phrase from Machiavelli, Machiavelli the prince. Uh, he was a politician. He said, for a ruler, for a ruler, if uh, you have to choose between being feared and being loved, he says, better to be feared than loved. Now that's a, it's a not, not a biblical answer. Uh, but he says, this is the world's idea. Better to be feared than loved because a ruler can get people to do stuff 
if they're afraid of him. Uh, but this is not Christ's rule. When the servant comes, verse 2, he will not cry aloud. He will not lift up his voice. That's what it's talking about. He's not going to be this military general that's threatening everybody to get into shape, get in line. But he will come with gentleness, with humility. Uh, okay, what else? Hmm? Verse 3, he will not break the bruised reed. Yep. Uh, so he, that's another uh, one about his gentleness. And we'll, we'll talk about that much more. Uh, we skipped one at the end of verse 1. He is the one in whom my soul delights. So the father delights in his son. And at the baptism of Jesus, when uh, the heavens are opened... The father says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And so the first part of that phrase comes from Psalm 2. The second part of that phrase, with whom I am well pleased, he's quoting here Isaiah. This is the one in whom my soul delights. And so at the baptism of Jesus, the father is saying, this is the servant that Isaiah prophesied. Uh, my, I, he is my beloved, my soul delights in him. Let's see, um, I put my spirit upon him. He's been given the spirit, so this was also part of Jesus' ministry. And then one more thing was that he is going to bring justice to the nations, to the nations. And then at the end of verse 4, it talks about the coastlands, so the farthest ends of the earth. So this is who the servant is coming to help and to save. Um, so what is this image of the smoking flax and the bruised reed? Well, the reed is a tall grass. Maybe all of this is very obvious to you all, but I'll say it anyways, in case you don't know. The reed is the tall grass growing in the shallow waters, especially in that area of the world. And so apparently these reeds can grow from 5 to, 15, uh, to 16 feet tall. And so they would use these reeds for making baskets and for thatching roofs. And so they were essentially like straw, what we would know better as straw or hay. And so a reed can very easily be broken, can very easily be snapped. And so that's the point of this image. Something like us that is at the very end, at the end of our rope. Uh, something that if one more thing happens, you think, I just can't handle it. I, I can't go through this anymore. I can't go another day dealing with this. If, if you're that, if you're one step away from just being broken, being crushed, then you're like a reed that can very easily be broken. And so Christ, his mission is to help and save the bruised reed. And then there's the flax. Um, the flax plant is where linseed oil comes from. And so the flax plant can be easily lit. And so this was what they used for wicks 
for their lamps. And so here's this image of a, a wick, a flax that is lit up, and then it's smoldering. So why is it smoldering? Well, because something is putting it out. Something's trying to put it out. Through sufferings, through difficulties, our faith is getting suffocated. Our faith is dying out. Maybe Satan, we could say. Satan is trying to snuff out your faith, your love for God through the events of your life, um, through your struggles with sin. And so here you are, you're a faintly burning wick. You're a smoldering wick with one little orange thing on the wick, a uh, little flame. What, what would somebody do? Most people would say, oh, well, that wick is supposed to be snuffed out. I'm going to go and make sure <laughs> the fire dies. But that's not Christ. Christ sees the smoldering wick, the, the little orange spark, and he says, I'm not going to put out that fire, but my job, my mission, is to come and bring that fire back, to light that wick again, to um, increase faith, to increase love for God. So this is the image. Uh, a bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 12, and we'll see that this is, um, Matthew tells us this is fulfilled in the life of Jesus. We're not going to read yet, uh, we'll get to verse 18, Matthew 12, 18 is where he begins in verse 17. He begins uh, the quote of Isaiah. But let's go back and let's understand this context of what's happening here. Um, the first eight verses are the story of um, the Pharisees accusing Jesus because his disciples are plucking grain on the Sabbath. And then starting in verse 9 to 14, we have another story about uh, a healing that's taking place on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus. Is it lawful to heal? on the Sabbath. That's what they ask him in verse 10. Now notice what Jesus says in verse 11. He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And you could look at this story from their perspective and talk about what is lawful to do on the Sabbath, but that's not exactly the point that Jesus is trying to make here. I mean, that's part of his point. But another part of his point is that he is describing who he is. If a man is willing to rescue his sheep on the Sabbath when his sheep falls in the pit, Jesus is saying, what do you think that I came to do? If, if I am the great shepherd of the sheep and my sheep here are in the pit, of course I'm going to rescue them. Of course I'm going to save them. And so this is Jesus telling us about who he is and his mission. 
He has come to save the lost sheep. And he is going to find them. and He's going to rescue them. And so he heals this man. Uh, this man who his hand is uh, disfigured. And so Jesus has come for the sheep. He's come for the sick. For the weak. Uh, but then look at verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. The Pharisees are not interested in rescuing sheep, as in hurting people. The Pharisees don't care about hurting people. Jesus does. And the Pharisees are resisting Jesus. And so Jesus isn't going to save the Pharisees. Jesus is going to save the weak, the needy, those who are sick. Jesus said, I didn't come to call righteous people to repentance. I came to call sinners to repentance. And so he means I came to save those who recognize their sin. So as we look at this book, um, here's one of the things that I think is important to understand and that I think in a lot of Christian circles, not necessarily in, in our circles, but in the Christian world at large, a lot of people just don't understand. You have to understand Jesus' ministry. A lot of Christians talk about the love of Christ. But you have to consider the love of Christ along with the holiness of God and the justice of God. And so it's good to talk about the love of Christ, but we also need to talk about it in the right way. Jesus doesn't love everyone as Savior. So a lot of people, if all they focus on is the love of Christ, then uh, Jesus looks like Mr. Rogers. It's like Jesus is there just knocking at the door of everyone's heart saying, won't you be my neighbor? Um, and maybe you've seen a shirt, a terrible shirt, that says, Jesus is my homeboy. And that's what a lot of people think about Jesus. Jesus is my homeboy. He's just my buddy. He's my friend. He's Mr. Rogers. He's my good neighbor. But we see that Jesus discriminates in his love. He has special, great love for his sheep, but not for the Pharisees. He's not going to save the Pharisees. So even in this chapter, look at um, verse 34. Uh, Matthew 12, verse 34. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we'll get to the burning, uh, burning wick, uh, the bruised reed in a second. But this is right after Matthew has just told us that Jesus doesn't break the bruised reed. So here's Jesus. He is so gentle. He is so lonely, uh, lowly. He is so mild, so loving. And then what? Like 15 verses later, he says, you brood of vipers. And so you have to have both. To understand Jesus. So what's the difference? Are you going to get scolded by Jesus? 
called a brood of vipers? Or are you going to be treated as a wick that is smoldering that he's not going to snuff out? A bruised reed he's not going to break. What's the difference? The difference is your attitude towards your sin. The Pharisees thought they were righteous. They were self-righteous. They were proud. So the difference is, are you humble? Do you recognize your weakness? Are you like this man with the withered hand who knows that he is sick and he needs someone to heal him? He knows that he's got problems. That's the lost sheep that Jesus comes for. That's the sheep Jesus comes to rescue. That's the bruised reed he will not break. So we want to be sure, as we talk about Christ, but also for ourselves, be sure that you're not one of the Pharisees. And I don't think, those of you here, I don't think you are, but be sure you're not one of the Pharisees, the self-righteous. But if you are hurting, suffering, sinner, humble before God, then Christ will not break you, the bruised reed. So, this is um, the good news that we see in Christ when it comes to uh, the bruised reed. Uh, let's look at verse 15. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry, quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory and in his name the Gentiles will hope. So, well there we, we have it very clearly and this is what Sibs is writing about in the book that Jesus is this person. He is this man who will not break the bruised reed. Now, in verse 17, it says this, you see, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. I don't know if maybe this is too hard a, a question, but can you, can you um, think about it? What is the this? Which aspects of this, these events are being fulfilled? I don't know if that question makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. so he will bring justice. So he is bringing justice to a man who is being ignored just because of his condition. So, yeah. Anything else? Yeah. 
Yeah, so, so the man is the bruised reed. Uh, the man is the downtrodden, the ignored, the outcast. And Jesus could treat him like the Pharisees treated him, but Jesus instead has compassion on him, and so he heals him. Anything else that you notice? Yeah, so, you know, in Isaiah, we had the, uh, the, that statement that he's not going to be the Machiavellian prince. He's going to cause everyone to fear him. And now Matthew is applying this to the fact that Jesus ordered them not to make him known. Jesus doesn't want to be known. Jesus isn't going to put billboards of his healing ministry and gather uh, big crowds under a tent to be healed by him. Uh, he's not going to broadcast that um, because he is going to do this quietly. Well, there's one more, uh, probably hard to, to notice, but, but there's a focus on the Gentiles. So the servant is coming for the Gentiles. He's going to bring justice, and in his name, verse 21, in his name the Gentiles will hope. And then at the end of verse 18, brings justice to the Gentiles. Um, I don't remember if it says anywhere in this chapter, but, but Jesus is in Capernaum at this point. So he is among the, the Gentiles. And so that's another aspect of what's happening here. Um, the man was in the synagogue, so he's, he's probably a Jew, but you know he might be ethnically Gentile. We don't know. But, but he's in a Gentile land, and so Jesus is going to Capernaum uh, to bring justice to the Gentiles. Okay, so I'm going to skip ahead to get into a statement that Sibs makes as we uh, start wrapping this up and applying this to us. Um, but this is at the end of the first chapter. He has a few sentences. Um, where he's talking about the bruised reed. And he says, Hence we learn that we must not pass too harsh judgment upon ourselves or others when God exercises us with bruising upon bruising. Are you a harsh judge? Are you a harsh judge on yourself? God brings bruising Upon bruising upon bruising it must be that uh, God is displeased with me it must be that I'm not as godly as those other people in church sometimes you know we might even think like uh, well I, I didn't read my Bible today and that's why everything bad is happening to, to me on this day and we often are very harsh judges on ourselves. And we can be harsh judges on others. He goes on to say, There must be conformity to our head, Jesus Christ, who was bruised for us, so that we may know how much we are bound to him. In other words, the suffering life of the Christian, part of that 
is that we understand more as we follow in the footsteps of Christ. We understand more of what Christ has done and we understand how Christ is living in us. Remember, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, death is at work in us, but life in you. And so as we suffer, Christ is working through that suffering so that we would understand more of how Christ is in us. Um, he is the suffering Christ. And so we will, we will also suffer with him. So then the last, um, the last part of the chapter, this, he ends it this way. He says, ungodly spirits, ignorant of God's ways in bringing his children to heaven, censure broken-hearted Christians as miserable persons, whereas God is doing a gracious, good work with them. It is no easy matter to bring a man from nature to grace and from grace to glory, so unyielding and intractable are our hearts. So, the ungodly spirits, I think he's talking mostly about non-Christians, but it can include Christians. You're, if you're ignorant of how God brings his children to glory, then you'll look at a broken-hearted Christian and you'll say, what's the matter with you? That's what he means, censuring broken-hearted Christians. And you say, put a smile on your face. Be happy. Have joy. Get over it. And that can sometimes be some, some, some people's attitudes. Uh, you're a Christian. Aren't you supposed to have joy? And so Sib says, if you think that way, you don't understand. This is God's gracious, good work in us. So we are brokenhearted. We do suffer. We are afflicted. But again, in 2 Corinthians 4, we are afflicted but not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. And so we must really experience those sorrows in life. But this is what Christ uses in us uh, to bring us to glory. So Jesus came for the sinners. Are you uh, weary with your sin, struggling, burdened by your sin? Are you burdened Brokenhearted by the cares and trials of life? Are you suffering? Downtrodden? Are you like the bruised reed? And the flax that you feel like is about to be snuffed out? Well, this is, this is who Jesus came for. Jesus came to save you. And to help you. You're not a bother to Jesus. Jesus isn't saying, man, I wish I could have some better, more godly people. Then I could really get to work. No, Jesus is saying, you're the one that I've come to save, to heal, to help. And he will not break the bruised reed. So let's praise our Lord for his grace, his love, his care for us. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, what a friend we do have in you. We thank you that you came to bear all of our griefs and our sorrows. We thank you that uh, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Help us, though. Help us not to be righteous in ourselves. Help us not to ignore our sins our needs, but to cast our cares upon you, to come before you in humility, to humble ourselves before you. And we pray again, Lord Jesus, that you would not break us, that you would care for us. Thank you for your promises to bind up the brokenhearted, to heal the spiritually sick, we pray that you would do that for us and bring us into your glory. We pray in your name. Amen.